Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. I'm now going to read from Psalm 77, so please take out your digital Bibles or your you know, boring old paper. No, they're both good. Please, please uh, follow along. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You're the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Next, uh, next passage is Romans eight eighteen to twenty five. So, uh, give you a couple of seconds to catch up on that if you want to follow along. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, I'd like to formally introduce our new pastor, Mr. Simon Jackson. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Take it away. Thanks, mate. It's 
It's good to see you all tonight. Uh, yeah, as Nick said, I'm Simon. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, tonight, we are opening the Word of God and we're continuing our series uh, on the subject of We Need to Talk. And uh, tonight, uh, we're thinking about We Need to Talk about mental health. That's what we're thinking about tonight. And uh, it's a, a big subject. Uh, I've only got a few minutes to speak on this. There's so much that can be said. Uh, there's so much that I can't say tonight. What I do say tonight, I hope, will be helpful to us all. Um, whether you're here tonight as someone who is in the midst of struggling with a mental illness of some kind, uh, whether you know someone who is, or um, whether this is something new uh, that you've heard about but you don't know, really know how to think about it, I hope it's really helpful. Uh, before I pray and we get into it, I just wanted to share just a few resources with you um, about uh, this particular subject. Again, there are some... There are lots of books written on mental health. Um, some of the books are good. Um, a lot of them are terrible, I reckon. Um, and, uh, but I just want to highlight a few of them that I think are really helpful. Um, one book or two books are these. Um, one's called Reset and the other's called Refresh. Um, and they're by a guy named David Murray. Reset's by a guy named David Murray. Uh, Refresh is by Shona and David Murray. Um, David his, and his wife, Shona. Um, both of these books are basically helping Christians um, live a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. Uh, that's what they're helping Christians to think through. Um, these books are not written particularly for people who are in the midst of wrestling with mental health issues or anything like that. They're written for Christian people who are seeking to live a productive life for the glory of God. And what these books do is kind of take you through your life, basically, help you examine how you're going and um, sort of reset, refresh. That's the idea. Um, David Murray wrote this one first for men, uh, and someone said, oh, but why are you just writing it for men? What about all the women? And he said, it's coming. And so that's why this book came. Um, and so I can really highly recommend this. I've read this book. I've kind of lived it. Really helpful. There's excellent sections in both of these books about um, mental health and helping us understand it live in the midst of it, if you're particularly personally. So highly recommend those two books. Um, they're about $18 each. Um, again, I don't make any money out of these, by the way. Um, I'm just sharing them with you. Um, this is an excellent book, this one. This is by Zach Eswine, a uh, US preacher uh, and author called Spurgeon's Sorrows, uh, subtitled Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from Depression. It's a wonderfully well-written book. Zach Eswine's one of my favourite authors, clear, compassionate, sensitive, uh, biblical, uh, really wonderful book. It's short as well. Um, he doesn't labour points, but he gets to the heart of the point and really is helpful. So that's a great book. That's about, I don't know, 15 bucks or something like that. Um, so those are really good books. Uh, and the other one, just really quickly, uh, there's an organisation called CCEF. Um, it's a Christian counselling uh, organisation based in the United States. Um, David Pallison, actually the guy who uh, started CCEF, he died um, just a few days ago, actually. Um, he lost his battle with pancreatic cancer. A wonderful man. Um, but he started up this organisation, CCEF, and what they do is they do some wonderful things in terms of on-the-ground counselling, but they produce some excellent material, um, of which these are wonderful little pamphlets. Um, they, these are about $5 each, and... They cover a range of issues. Again, because they're short, they can't tell everything, right? But they do a wonderfully practical, pastoral, compassionate, biblical little books. Um, 
anything from, uh, there's one on suicide here, one on depression, um, multiple things. So I can highly recommend those books to you if you would like to follow up anything from this evening or in general. Uh, Let me pray and we're going to get into God's word tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you, uh, you love us, Father. You, you, you've shown what it looks like for you to love us by sending your son Jesus into the world, uh, that he would take upon himself our sin, uh, past, present and future, uh, willingly, so that we, through faith in his work, could be free and, Father, full of hope uh, for a future that's secure because of your promises. We pray, Father, that tonight, as we think about this subject of mental illness and health, Father, that you would just help me to speak wisely and well. Uh, And Father, I pray that the words that are shared tonight, especially from your word, would bring comfort, ultimately healing and solace to those of us we know, and those of us even here tonight struggling with mental health. Lord, we pray, uh, be glorified in all that we think and do tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a picture on the screen of a couple. That's uh, Ray, uh, Rick sorry, and Kay Warren. Uh, they planted a church in California uh, in the year 1980. Uh, that church they planted now today has grown to 20,000 people strong. It's a big church. Um, Rick wrote a book, The Purpose Driven Life. Anyone read The Purpose Driven Life? Anyone? Just a handful of people, yeah. Um, a lot of people have read it. 30 million copies have sold of The Purpose Driven Life that Rick wrote. In many ways, it's a success story, right? Planted a church, 1980, it's grown 20,000 people, sold 30 million copies of a book. Really successful. But there's another story behind uh, Rick and Kay Warren. In April 2013, their 27-year-old son, Matthew, took his own life. Matthew had wrestled with depression his whole life. Uh, Kay uh, said that one day when he was just seven years old, he came home and said to his mum and dad, he said, I'm feeling really sad. And then, 27, he took his own life. Through his life, he'd seen multiple doctors. They'd given him multiple diagnoses, etc. Kay said this, For years, her family felt like they were living on the edge of hell. Here's another person. This is Charles Spurgeon. Probably many of you have heard of Charles. Um, He was known as the Prince of Preachers uh, back in the 1800s. And um, at 19, um, Charles Spurgeon took charge of one of the biggest Baptist churches in London in the UK. Um, At 22, he became known as like the most famous preacher in all of England. Imagine that, 19. I mean, I'm ancient in comparison, right? But 19, took charge of the biggest church, Baptist church, at 22, became known as the best preacher in the UK. Um, So famous a preacher was he that they had to keep moving buildings all the time because too many people kept coming. Um, And so they ended up at this place called the Crystal Palace in London. Um, And when he was preaching there for the first time, um, they said there was like 10,000 people inside the church building, 10,000 people outside just to hear him preach. One night, though, he's preaching before this massive crowd, and someone from the audience said, fire! Another person said, the balcony's collapsing! And Spurgeon kind of controlled the scene and said, no, 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 it's not, and it kind of wasn't true, but the large crowd, he prayed, but then he found out later that seven people had died that night in the crush. 28 people went to hospital injured. 
When Spurgeon heard the news of what had happened, he collapsed and he went into a deep depression. Here is what he said. It's on the screen. When, like a whirlwind, the destruction was overpassed, when the whole of its devastation was visible to my eye, who can conceive the anguish of my sad spirit? I refuse to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day and dreams my terror by night. I felt as I had never felt before. They put on him on what we would call today suicide watch. Uh, Spurgeon said again, Somebody watched me, for they did not know what might happen to me. Spurgeon's wife, Susanna, thought he might never recover. And Spurgeon would later share that each time he would ever stand up to preach in a big crowd, he would have flashbacks of his experience. And he said, I quote, I am the subject of the depression of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Now, those, those stories, right, Kay and Rick Warren, uh, Charles Spurgeon, they're a little bit removed from us, aren't they? You know, another generation, another time, another sort of side of the world, they're not in Australia. But we all have stories. People who we know, someone we love, a friend, a family member, who is in the midst of the grip of a mental illness of some kind. My grandfather had depression, was treated for years. And even as I speak tonight, a friend of mine, someone I know desperately really well, is in the Royal Adelaide Hospital after he tried to take his life on Friday night. It's hard. It's difficult. And all of us are impacted. Tonight, I just want to answer really three questions Three questions that are on the screen. What do we mean by mental health? Um, what is mental health? Why are mental health issues so prevalent? And thirdly, what does the Christian faith offer for those in the midst of mental illness? Um, what do we mean by mental health? Why are they so prevalent today? And what does the Christian faith offer to those with mental health issues? So firstly, what do we mean by mental health issues? I mean, not, I want to say this right out, not every negative kind of experience we have means that we have a mental health issue. Um, one of the expectations in our culture today, I reckon, is that we're meant to be happy kind of all the time. Um, it's ridiculous, right? Um, whether it be you know, what you watch on Netflix or our social media feeds, um, we're exhorted to be happy all the time. At least you know, present that kind of image to the world, that we're happy. I mean, so much of life is rich and it's good and beautiful, but at the same time, there's difficult stuff that happens in life. And when those hard things happen, when we experience loss of some kind, we're actually meant to feel sad. That's an appropriate response to have. It's to, to grieve and to work out how do we move forward in that moment. And to feel sad sometimes does not necessarily mean we are depressed. And I think that's why it's good to think of mental health as like a, a continuum of sorts. So, you know, mental health is this kind of continuum. On the right-hand side, you know, you've got good mental health. And down the other end, it's, you know, poor mental health. Um, and sort of everything kind of in between. And when we're thinking about mental illnesses, we're kind of down that poor mental health end of the spectrum. 
Now, poor mental health, where, where a person, people experience changes in the way they think, changes in the way they feel, changes in the way, therefore, they behave, that continues over a long a period of time, causing significant distress to that particular individual, which impairs their function and impairs their life. And I want to think about this, right? I think as human beings, we are designed primarily for three things. Three things that are really important to us, and they're kind of on the screen, they're about to pop up. Um, three things. We want something to do as human beings. We want people to love and we want people to love us. And we want things to look forward to. So in a different way, we want meaningful work, uh, we want good relationships, and we want hope for the future. But down the poor end of mental health, basically, all those things kind of become impaired or impacted in some kind of way. So, okay then, what are some of the kind of common mental health illnesses or, yeah, diagnoses we might expect in our world today? Here's just a, uh, this is just a small subset. Um, anxiety, you've probably heard about clinical anxiety disorder. Um, that's like when the smoke detector in your brain kind of works too well, even when the reality of the danger in front of you isn't that extreme, it's sort of when it just goes overdrive, anxiety. Um, depression, they're, they're the, the negative feelings about yourself or negative feelings about the future, um, experiencing a loss of interest in the things that you once found joy in, um, a sense of darkness. Bipolar disorder, um, extreme mood swings, uh, where people can experience sort of the high highs and, and the low lows. Uh, psychosis, uh, one form of psychosis is schizophrenia, uh, where people will lose touch kind of with reality. Uh, there's substance abuse, uh, the use of illicit drugs, um, inappropriate use of prescription drugs, and of course the big one in our culture these days, alcohol. Um, and then there's eating disorders, which sort of are the, the common bunch of mental illnesses. These are all very common. Uh, one in five, one in five people in Australia will experience a significant mental illness at some stage in their life. One in five. Up to one in two across a lifetime will experience sort of chronic mental health issues, um, experiencing some kind of mental issue that sort of impairs their function over a long period of time. So common um, is anxiety, 14%, depression, 6%, um, substance abuse, around 5%. And every day, tragically, in Australia, eight people take their own life. Now, I can talk about symptoms, I can talk about statistics, but the lived experience of someone with a mental health issue is really hard. It's really difficult. And these are people we know, these are people we love. I've said there's a, a continuum, right, between good mental health and, and poor mental health. But for someone who is struggling with bad, poor mental health, there is perhaps nothing worse in life. Listen to Charles Spurgeon again on his own experience. The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. 
Now, one of the interesting things is that we Christian people, right, we can lay burdens on top of already crushing mental health experiences that people are having, right? So if you think about it, um, you've got an anxiety disorder and you read your Bible and Jesus says, do not worry. And you say, whoa, I worry, I worry all the time. And the guilt and shame of worrying more kind of just goes on top of your very kind of overdrive anxiety. Or let's say, you know, you flip a bit further forward in the Bible and you come across Paul's letter to the Philippians and the Apostle Paul tells you, as a Christian, rejoice always. Be joyful in all circumstances, but for you, joy is a distant memory. And you feel guilt and shame, you feel worse. And not only is there the personal stuff going on in your head and your heart, but what are the the people sort of out there who think and say things that are really unhelpful with regards to mental illness. And there's so much stigma still. I did a um, mental health first aid course um, some time ago, and uh, uh, the person who was leading it asked this question. uh, I want you to think about all the derogatory terms we use in our culture for mental health issues that you can think of. Yell some out. What do you think? Let's do it now. Weirdo, yeah? Don't be afraid. Crazy. Anything else? It's in your mind, yeah, yeah. These these are the ones I've had. I've had, they said mad, crazy, wacko, mental, loony, weirdo. There you go. Then the person said, now think of all the derogatory terms we use for people who have cancer or the derogatory terms we use for people who have heart disease. In 1995, there was a survey done of Australian peoples to think about asking them, what do you think causes depression? 50% of people said weakness of character. That survey was repeated in 2011. You'd be pleased to know the numbers dropped by 10%. 40% of people in Australia at that time still believed that depression was the result of weakness of your character. And additionally, some people think that people who have a mental illness are really dangerous kind of people, out to get you. Can I just say tonight, it is very, 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 very rare that that's the reality. The most dangerous group in our society in Australia are young men who drink too much alcohol. They're the most dangerous people in our culture today. People with mental illnesses, the reality is they are much more likely to hurt themselves than they are to hurt you or anyone else around you. And sadly, the stigma exists in our churches today. I heard a story this week, right? Someone just said, you know, your depression and anxiety is a result of your sin. Simply repent of your sin and you'll be fine. Unfortunately, churches sometimes have a reputation for shooting their wounded. All the time. In her article recounting her experience with depression, this woman, Alicia Cohn, writes, Unfortunately, many of us have spoken up in church communities, have been told, pray harder or have more faith. These suggestions might be well-intentioned, but they often discourage and isolate those of us in desperate need of support. In that book, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Jack Eswine writes, In the eyes of many people, including Christian people, depression signifies cowardice, faithlessness, or is simply a bad attitude. Some people tell God in prayer and their friends in person that the sufferer of depression is soft 
or unspiritual. I mean, such comments, right, just display a faltering love for our neighbours, yeah? A crack in our empathy for people who are broken. It's interesting, isn't it? As Christ's followers, right, as Christians, we gladly leap onto the mission field. We, we cook a meal for the destitute. We embrace the grieving. But when depression or mental illness strikes, it just seems like compassion sort of just drops off the page. Partly it's ignorance, partly it's silence, but that's not good enough. When we consider that the rate of suicide among people who have depression is 27 times higher than the general population, yeah, we've, got to, we've got to wake up. Sufferers of depression can't control their descent into darkness, nor can we wrench them on our own out of the clutches of that darkness, but we can actually help. So that's what is mental illness. My second question, why are mental health Issues so prevalent. And this is where I reckon our kind of Christian worldview is really helpful. In fact, I think it's a key to helping us understand, right? So there's a, there's a timeline coming up on here. If we think about, you know, you go back to creation, right back to the left-hand side where that beautiful-looking green tree is. You know, God creates the world. And when he creates it, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he says, it's very good. And it is very good. And you know, there's a sense of which we're in perfect relationship with our bodies, we're in perfect relationship with God and each other. It's just wonderful. And then you flick your page. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, like that one page in the Bible, right? That's where it's all good, and then it kind of all goes pear-shaped after that. This big cosmic crack happens. When we as God's people, made in his image, we turn our back on his love, his kindness, his rule of our lives, we call that sin, that enters into the world... And that has consequences. So all the relationships kind of get fractured. Our relationship with our body gets fractured. Our relationship with God gets fractured. Our relationship with each other gets fractured. And we had Romans 8 read out, right? In Romans 8, Paul picks up on that, that ever since the fall, creation has been groaning. It's got consequences. God has subjected creation to futility. That's the big macro creation. That's you and me. Our bodies have been subjected to futility. There's a logic to our brokenness. It makes stuff difficult. Job chapter 5, verse 7. Job says this, For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble, as surely as sparks fly upward. It's true, isn't it? But it's also part of God's kindness. Part of the logic of living in a suffering world, a world that's been subjected to that by God himself, it's to wake us up, it's to remind us that things aren't right, that it shouldn't be like this, that we have a difficult relationship with our bodies, reminds us that we're not right, not right with our creator, and that in turn should cause us to turn back to him because he's the only one who ultimately can kind of fix our brokenness. Experience this brokenness all the time, whether it's through, you know, natural disasters, our physical illnesses, but also in mental illness. I actually think the reason why mental health issues are so prevalent in our world is, is ultimately because our world is broken. We're broken as human beings, we've turned our back on God. But hear me really clearly. Please don't make the same mistake that Job's friends made back in the Old Testament. If you don't know Job, you should read his book. It's powerful. 
But of all the people, Job experienced not only physical suffering, but he also experienced deep mental anguish. And in the midst of his deep mental anguish, what did Job's friends do? You've done wrong, Job. That's why you're in this predicament. Please don't say that. Don't just just say that because it's not true. It's just so unhelpful. Because in mental illness, there are so many factors. It's much more complicated than simply saying, you sinned, therefore you have mental... It's just, it's so complicated. Please avoid drawing those sort of direct line connections. We all experience brokenness in various ways. Some people experience bodily brokenness through mental illness. People need support. They don't need judgment. I spoke briefly about all the multiple factors. There are biological factors that result in people having mental illness, the genes we have. My grandfather had serious mental illness. My father, so far, hasn't experienced that. I I sort of, I'm sitting there going, maybe I will. There's a genetic, there's a hereditary connection. There's psychological factors, right? Some personality types just have a greater predisposition to potentially developing depressive episodes. Um, I'm told, right, if you're a more sensitive kind of person, if you're a a perfectionistic type person, you've got a greater chance of developing a depressive kind of mental illness. And there are social factors, right? So many. Um, I look around. I mean, I'm one of these people as well. Our world is changing so rapidly all the time that it's hard to keep up with that. And I think that's having an impact on our mental health health overall. The changes are happening so fast. And I think we're no longer really thinking about how am I going to factor into my week an opportunity just to relax and to calm down. I think we're just so full of stuff going on. Technology, right? Social media. There's so many evidence, there's so many research papers out there about the negative impact of social media on our mental health. Um, not to mention the rising sense of people feeling isolated, the significant increase in loneliness in our society. Um, I'm told that loneliness is now one of the greatest killers of men because we just become so detached and you know, disconnected from real, genuine relationships. And, of course, there's adverse childhood experiences which lead to people having mental illness and health issues. whole host of things feed into the prevalence of mental health issues in our culture today. So we've looked at what is mental health illness, what is, secondly, why is it so prevalent? Thirdly, what does the Christian faith offer for people who have mental health issues? What does it say to us? Let me tell you an interesting fact, right? Not, not so long ago, there was this widely held view that religion and spirituality were really bad for your mental health. Really bad for your mental health. Almost nobody believes that anymore. Almost nobody believes that. Let me share a quote. This is from Adele. Um, She did a presentation recently on this at work, but this is from a person named Ellison. Um, Said this, Spirituality enables and motivates us to search for meaning and purpose in life. It is the spirit which synthesizes the total personality and provides some sense of energizing direction and order. The spiritual dimension does not exist in isolation from the psyche and the soma, the body, but provides an integrative force. It affects and is affected by our physical state, feelings, thoughts, and relationships. There's a real connection between spirituality, religion, and our mental health. 
And some of the things that the researchers have discovered, they've discovered that many of the protective features of us with mental health are also the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So let me list four for you. The first one is this, a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Secondly, being part of a community with a strong network of relationships. Thirdly, having a sense of gratitude for the good things in life. And get this, fourthly, helping other people. All that stuff is really good for you, for your mental health. But let me share three things that the Christian faith offers in particular. The three things are reality, hope, and community. Reality, hope, community. Despite what many people say and think, genuine Christian faith does not romanticise, genuine Christian faith does not fantasise, genuine Christian faith does not fudge the truth, but it tells it like it is. The Bible tells the truth about how difficult and awful some life experiences can be, how hard they can be. It affirms the mental anguish that can result. And the Bible welcomes that those things be communicated to God. It doesn't sweep them under the carpet. It doesn't ask you to meditate them away by other worldviews or religions. It doesn't simply say, don't question what's going on like other worldviews. It says, speak it. Cry it out. How long, O Lord? The scriptures affirm and welcome the need to be honest and real with God. And we see that all the way through that beautiful book, one of which we had read out, the Psalms. Do you like one third of the Psalms in our Bible are Psalms of lament, sort of crying out our sadness and our struggle with the world, where people just pour out their anguish? We had Psalm 77 read out earlier by Nick. That's, that's a Psalm of lament. Let me read a few verses. These are the first four verses. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Wow. Are you allowed to say that to God? Yes, you are. In Psalm 88, another psalm of lament, it's a brutally honest psalm. A lot of the psalms, right, of lament, they kind of start bad. Um, The psalmist kind of works through a few things and then it kind of ends kind of of positive, you know. It's all right, it's going to be okay. Psalm 88 starts bad, ends worse, basically. (laughs) Let me read the last verse. You have taken from me friend and neighbour... Darkness is my closest friend. Darkness is my closest friend. Full stop. End of psalm. But I think there's comfort in this. There's comfort here because the Christian faith is real about mental health struggles. The darkness is not a surprise to the God of the Bible. Here, here is is there. He is willing to listen to the darkness. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we offer to the world can handle the depth of darkness experienced by those with mental illness. So that's reality. Secondly, hope. Hope. I think one of the most horrible things about 
for those people who are struggling with mental illness is that deep sense of hopelessness that's experienced. You know, mental health or mental health issues or illnesses has the ability to, what they say, eviscerate hope. Do you know what that means? Kind of just like eat it up, screw it up, wipe it out. And that's awful. But what I want to say tonight is there is hope. We live in a wonderful time in history where there are so many highly effective treatment options out there for people who have mental health issues. Be that medical treatment, be that psychological treatment, or be that a combination of that. I shared um, with Adele, who is a psychiatrist, uh, my wife, during the week, one of the, you know, like Spurgeon's story in that particular part about where he would stand up in front of the crowd and, and sort of, you know, all those flashbacks would come back and he would struggle to kind of contain himself. And Adele said, if only he lived today. You know, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. He probably could have had some wonderful therapy and kind of perhaps overcome that. That's the world in which we live today. We have wonderful medical resources and psychological and psychiatric resources which can help people. Some people can make a full recovery with a combination of therapy and medication and other things. For some people, it means ongoing treatment, a combination perhaps, but it enables them to live a very full and functional, productive and meaningful life. It's wonderful. And I want to say to you, I I really did pray and hope that as I was speaking tonight, there would be some useful things in here for you tonight if you're struggling with mental illness. But this is not probably going to solve your situation entirely. So if you are here tonight and you're struggling with your mental health or you know someone you love deeply who is, then can I encourage you to get to the GP? Go and see your GP. They may not be able to help you entirely, but they'll probably be able to point you in the right direction where you can get the support and the help you need from a medical, psychological point of view. But here is also what I want to say. The Christian faith, I believe, brings an even more profound hope than that. The power of the gospel, you see, by being saved through faith in Jesus Christ, is that the power of the gospel incorporates your story into an even more wonderful, glorious story. The story that affirms your value and your dignity and your life and gives you a destiny. That's the reality. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. And the Christian faith, the gospel story, affirms that you are loved. The face of God is always looking your way, looking at you with kindness and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And the basis of God loving you Inclining his face towards you is not, it's not on the basis of your appearance. It's not on the basis of your ability. It's not on the basis of how good you are at your job. It's not on the basis of how good you are at sport. It's not on the basis on, the basis on the, how, how much money you have. God loves you because he loves you. And when you know that, it's good for your mental health. It doesn't take away all the pain and the anguish and the struggle, but it's good for you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, assures you of a great future. The story that you get embedded in, God's salvation story, it has a past. It's got the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in it, the man of sorrows, which is evidence of just how much God loves you.
But the story has a future. It has a destiny that is secure, a future. Revelation chapter 21, when the Lord returns and heaven and earth come together. And in that new creation, in that new city of God, there is no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more suicide, no more mental health issues. And in the meantime, how wonderful is that? But in the meantime, we have the promises of God. That God actually is going to pull this thing off. Those promises of God, they're like a, you know, they're like a lighthouse, a beam from a lighthouse that, that cuts through the darkness to strengthen you, to encourage you, to, to buoy you, even in the depths of real darkness. We're held up by a story that's it's larger and it's truer than your moods and your miseries. And that's a great, great thing. Reality, hope, and thirdly, community. Again, the researchers have found that interacting with people, like face-to-face, like, you know, people still do that, right? Face-to-face interaction. People have found that face-to-face interaction is one of the deepest wellsprings of human well-being and happiness. Getting together, seeing real people. And the reality is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Christian story that we get embedded into by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't just embed you in God's story and it's just between you and him. It, it embeds you in a group of people, a network of relationships. I mentioned Kay Warren at the beginning with her son. She said, I wouldn't have made it through without the, the church coming together around us, without the community. And of course, God is our refuge, but we are called to be a refuge to each other. And that can be so good for your mental health. I was saying in our DG on Wednesday night, how that is my, my prayer and my desire for our DG, that we'd be a group that is a tight-knit network of relationships where we know each other, so we can really deeply care for each other. And I'd love to see that just explode right across our whole church. Where we're not just a bunch of people who know we're right with God, but we're people who get along with each other and care for one another and know each other really well. That takes time. It takes vulnerability. It takes commitment. But the benefits are just enormous. That reality. The Bible, the Christian faith says, tell like it is. It doesn't brush aside anguish and pain and mental illness and say, don't worry about it. It says engage with it. Hope, real hope, that can buoy us even in the midst of real darkness and community. As I close, I just want to say two words, not literally two words, but two words. A word to us as a church here at North Adelaide, a word to those tonight, perhaps you're here tonight and you are in the midst of a really dark time, you're struggling with mental illness. So firstly, a word to us as a church. A guy named um, Professor John Swinton says this, In our churches, we have a tremendous resource for helping the mentally ill through our church family relationships, but we can only do that if we are real with each other. So often, right, church, unfortunately, can not feel like a safe place for most of us, and so we come to church and we kind of dress ourselves up emotionally, put on a bit of a good front. I do that. 
Now, everything can be teemingly bad at home, but I come and go, yeah, I'm great, man. great weekend. But a church without the broken is a broken church. A church without the broken is a broken church. None of us can do everything. I know that full well, but, but small things can make a huge difference to those who are wrestling with these, these kind of issues. Listening, having a coffee, sending a meal, inviting someone over. Let me read from a Christian person who did and does experience love and grace from her local church as she wrestles with mental health issues. She writes this. Their efforts, her local church efforts, didn't chase away the darkness. They didn't cure my depression or jolt my mind awake with a burst of hope, but they did reflect Christ's love and in so doing, buoyed me through turbulent seas. They reminded me, even while I was steeped in hopelessness and shame, even when I couldn't believe their words, that Christ lived and died and rose for me. And like a shaft of light glittering through inky waters, that truth, that love, penetrates through. May we here at City Light Church North Adelaide be that light that, that cuts through the darkness for some. And it may sometimes feel like it's not going anywhere, but it, her testimony is true. Secondly, for those struggling with mental health tonight, I could say any number of things here. I could tell you to keep trusting Jesus. I could tell you to trust God more. I could tell you to you know, keep trying. Hang on to God no matter what. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Come to church all the time. I could say any number of those things. But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to tell you to hang on to God. I want to tell you that God will hang on to you. God will hang on to you. When you're at the end of your resources, when, you have, like, when you've got nothing left in the tank, when you feel like you can't even breathe, you don't have to. God will hang on to you. He's your rock. He's your safety. He won't give up on you. And he will not let go of you. There's this wonderful image at the end of Psalm 77. The psalmist is reflecting on his troubles. He's reflecting on how God has acted in the past. And he thinks, oh yeah, God's the God who kind of rescues people. That's what he does. And then he says this, Psalm 77. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. That your footprints were not seen. And isn't life sometimes a bit like that? You can't see the hand of God. You're kind of asking, where is he in the darkness? I can't see him. He's there. He's holding you. He's loving you. And the psalmist was right when he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God will hang on to you. Because he loves you more than you can know. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, our refuge.
when human resources fail, you alone remain our sure hope and defence. Father, we pray that tonight you would grant healing and strength and courage to all those who we know and love with depression, anxiety and other mental illnesses. And Father, we ask this confident that you are holding on to them, that you're holding on to us, that you're loving us and your love for us is never-ending, that nothing can separate us from you. And Father, we ask this tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, the man who indeed is the man of sorrows. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.